Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, um, I feel a little air. It's not as warm as it has been in here, right? So we're doing all right. So if you're in here and you're starting to think, man, you're sweating, it's not necessarily conviction. Um, <laughs> bear with it. Usually it starts cooling down halfway through. Um, you know, just uh, coming in here together, uh, I hope you all know the importance of, like what Shale mentioned, when you fill out a visitor card, it's not that you just get a weekly, hey, this is what we're doing, email, but you also get what I think is the most important one is that the Creekside family update, babies, you know, are born and there's like, you know, there's there's opportunities to pray. There's there's moments like we you know brought Donna and went more up last week and just you know, prayed over her. And there's times when you just like we got to focus. And there's been great praise reports. Um, and so there's always different prayer needs. So make sure you, you get that email if you're not getting that email. Um, uh, Andy and Caitlin, I know y'all are leaving for Los Angeles tomorrow, and um, you're kidnapping the granddaughter Chase, uh, grand, grand grandson Chase, and so you're. Uh, but anyway, Amy and Ray are sitting there going, wow, we're going to, um, you know, life's going to seem different for a little bit. And what we've just enjoyed having you guys here, you know, be praying for y'all. And um, Allie, uh, praying for you, my sister, uh, diagnosed with cancer. And just we are going to just wait on a, a little bit, get some reports. And and we're praying for you. Or it's going to be a... Um, it will get us see where we're going and just like who knows we just have to um we're going to be with you every step of the way and so Allie, uh just want you to know that uh, you're loved by a lot of people so you know everybody walks in different places some people walk in saying i want to find a community some people are walking in saying i just want to visit family is what we call that you know and there's other times you walk in here and your world is literally collapsing uh, like that baby right there. But anyway, um, but anyway, uh, but but I just know that for those of you who need prayer, we have to be a church that definitely surrounds you in doing that. Um, I feel like uh, did we uh, there next week. There's gonna there's gonna be a few more people here than normal. You know, summer we're fortunate to have a little bit more room, right? You know, uh, there's gonna be about. 40 or 50 people here from another church who are, they are planning in Tampa. One of my former students, his name is Bobby Harrington, he is a pastor of a church in North Carolina, and they they are from J.D. Greer's church, and this is called the Summit. They have a vision of planting 1,000 churches in a generation. And when I say they're planting churches, they're very serious. They go through two years of training. They sell, every, they sell their homes, their condos. They move it. They leave their jobs. And they come down and start a church. Well, we are kind of like a partnering church with them. And so uh, they're just moving down. They're probably not going to start till January. <clears throat> but they're, they've moved here. They're getting settled. And so we've already warned the kids' workers, hey, they're, you know, we might bump up. We might double. <laughs> but anyway, uh, um, we, uh, they're going to be in. So, so next week, you're going to see a lot of unfamiliar faces. I know every, which is why we're doing the name tags this week, because there's always so many new people coming in and out, you know. But next week, a little bit more normal. So just make some people feel welcome when they when they come in because these people know nothing i mean they don't like they're calling me like what dentist do i go to you know where's a good place to get chicken i mean stuff like this so just kind of befriend them if you want to invite them over to your home do that that's remember this is our family you know our goal one day is you say hey how many churches are in tampa and the answer is going to be one you know one church with a whole lot of different bodies right a whole lot of different roofs and that's the way it ought to be so um 
that being said, let me pray for me to get this message clearly delivered. And uh, today we're taking the Lord's Supper into the message. It's really cool. I never thought I'd say this. Really cool. I had a migraine last night. Stayed up the whole night. You always take a couple of pills where you really worry what you're going to say. I'm just letting you know right now. Who knows what could fly out of my mouth? But I'm like, it hit me about four in the morning. Oh, wow. I got and, and I'm really glad to tie into the Lord's Supper and the message today. Um, I'm excited about that. So I hope it comes out correctly. Let me go ahead and pray for me, okay? Jesus, please speak through me. God, thank you for... Um, what you do in this fellowship to meet so many amazing people. And Lord Allie, we target this week as somebody that we just want to lift up and and uh, and love on. And we think of Andy and Caitlin and Chase and Lord, um, what they've meant to us. And just ask you to continue to move in their lives as they go out to Los Angeles. Lord, um, speak through me, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 27. <clears throat> I'm excited about this because... Um, Again, we're doing what we always do. We go verse by verse. If you're brand new here, we attack the verses by verse by verse. We're doing something a little different. I'm going to preach through chapter 27 and 29. I'm skipping 28. Don't worry. Shale is going to preach that next week. The reason we're doing it is I, we called this audible last night, as a matter of fact, yesterday. It was like, a, there's only 12 verses in chapter 27. You know, and we start thinking there's only 12 verses. I mean, I know we can make a sermon out of it. We can find things. But, you know, when you're a minister to a congregation, you like to think you're keenly aware of things. Not one of you has come up to me and said, do you know for the last three months, Saul has been chasing David? <laughs> and is he ever going to catch him or what's going to happen? We've been walking through this for a while. And so we looked at 12 verses and then chronologically, 29 actually goes before 28. It's weird. So 28 stands on its own. So I'm going to cover two chapters, 27 and 29. Next week will be 28. And we're going to start walking through in just a second on verse 1. But first, I want to catch you up to speed. If you're brand new here and you're walking in saying, I don't know anything about what's going on, there's just a few characters. There's three cast of characters today I want you to focus on. One, his name is Saul. He's the current king of Israel. Just know he doesn't have much of a role in these two chapters, but he is the current king of Israel. He is chasing with everything he has a man named David. David is the next anointed king over Israel. David has been pursued by Saul in an unfair fashion. He doesn't deserve to be chased down and hunted down. And then there is a new guy stepping into play here. He's shown up a little bit before. His name is Achish. He is the king over the Philistines. You have the Israelites who are still called the Hebrews right now, right? A lot of people call them Hebrews. And you have the Philistines. The Philistines are the arch enemy of Israel. So everybody up to speed there? Okay. Like Achish, warlord, king over the Philistines. David is being pursued by Saul. Verse 1 of chapter 27. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. Now, it's a long verse, and I want to talk to you real quickly about this. It begins with a cannon shot that says this. Now, David says in his own heart, he says in his own heart, this is somebody taking self-counsel. I don't know about you and I, but whenever I say to my own heart, I'm usually not 
in a good spot. This is where kind of paranoia comes in. This is where you start convincing yourself of things that are not real. This is where you start saying in your own heart, this is what she means. This is why he's doing things this way. You start conjuring up things. So David says in his own heart, well, you know what? One day I'm going to die. Saul's going to kill me. Why am I living here? Why am I living in caves? Why am I being pursued? You've got to remember, this is a guy who when he went to a bunch of monks and priests, and all he asked for was bread, Saul had all 87-something priests executed and killed. And then, by the way, killed the entire village that was right next door. This is the pursuit of Saul on, on the David. And so David says, you know what, I'm going to die. I might as well die somewhere away where, where Saul will just leave me alone. So what better place to go than I am going to go right to the arch enemy of Israel. And so he does. He shows up. So David, verse 2, David arose and went over, he and his 600 men who were with him, to Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. Now, um, let me hold you right there. If you are one with photogenic memory, you're saying, I've seen this name before. When David started being pursued by Saul, he, he didn't know what to do. He went to the Philistine fort. And it was controlled by this guy, Achish. And then they started looking at him. And they started like, they, David thought he was going to get killed. And so what did David do? He started acting like a, like a lunatic. He started drooling, started like spitting, started like, it could have been, what a sight, right? You know what I mean? He's just acting up in front of Achish. Now I will say, if you want to really geek it out on this one, we don't know if this is the same guy. Achish could be what they call a throne name, which is mean Caesar Pharaoh, it could be anybody under the title of Achish, but it could be the same guy. We don't know. At any rate, it's a warlord king over the Philistines. David shows up. 600 men. Verse 3. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man in his household. And David with his two wives, A&M of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. We heard about her before. Verse 4. And it was told, when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Okay, so stop right here. Verse 4, by the way, David was right. David said, if I go to the Philistines, Saul's going to forget about me. He did. He totally forgot about him. But remember, when you read scripture, always ask, here's what, now what, so what? Always ask those questions. Always look at it and go, what's going on here? Why would the Philistines take David in? Why would you do it? I mean, the first time they made fun of him, we're going to kill him, right? Well, think about it. The first time he showed up, he showed up acting like a madman. The second time he shows up, he shows up with 600 hardened veteran fighters. This is not 600 new recruits. These are not 600 green troops. These are 600 men. Just the fighting force and capability of one of those 600 men would have been a force to be reckoned. So 600 men show up on mounts. This king looks at him and thinks, man, these are 600 people I don't have to fight. These are 600 people who can come on board with me. And so he gives him some place to live in the royal city. A royal city would have been where all the, you know, the royalty just kind of hung out and then the upper echelon wealthy people. Verse 5, then David said to Achish, if I found favor in your eyes, let a place be given to me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? Now, let's stop right here. This is, let me give you a little background, a little insight. This is why it's always good to dive into concordances when you start reading. This verse right here is full of deception and strategy. First, I'm going to let you know, David is in the Philistine land 
because he's tired of running. He's also discouraged. You've got to remember, this is a classic example of why Scripture is written for you and I. David is all bold in his answer. Remember David like, oh, I'm going to fight the Philistine giant in the name of the Lord. I don't need a sword. Where's that David gone? This David now is an example of speaking boldly, totally speaking with brash uh, confidence, but now inwardly besieged by doubt. So, David goes to the Philistine king. He says, I need a place. He brings him in. He's living in a royal city. He now goes to the king and says, in this verse, he goes, I, I need something else. It's no sense in me standing here, being here. No sense in me being in this place, taking all the best food. Let me take my 600 men and go somewhere. We do not know for the rest of this chapter or 29 that David's intention is to serve Israel. But what he's about to do is full of deception. It's deceitful. But it's also, he's still acting like a servant of Israel. And trust me, you're going to see what he's going to do. is going to unfold in a really violent way. So David is deceiving the king right here. He's not just saying, hey, I want some place cooler in the mountains. He's wanting to get this particular region. So verse, um, verse 5. Then David said to Achish. I'm sorry, I've already said that, didn't I? Verse 6. So that day, Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore, Ziklag, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah at this day. Verse 7. And the, day, the number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. So it's been a year and a half. Watch what happens in verse 8. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Malachites, and the Termites. And for these were the inhabitants of the land from old, as far as sure, to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither. Are you ready for this? This is God, man after God's own heart. Here we go. He would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. Wait a minute. What's he doing? He's going and attacking these particular villages, these particular tribes. The second tribe, by the way, is only referenced in history in scripture. There is no other recorded um, reference to it. It's not unusual. Remember, over the past hundred years, archaeological digs have continually affirmed and confirmed things that were in scripture, like, oh, we didn't know this village existed except for the Bible, and here it is. This is one of those groups. But what we do know about all three all three of these groups of people that David attacked and killed every man and woman were allies of the Philistines and enemies of Israel. Now, if you're sitting here going, wait a minute, what kind of Bible? What kind of God? What kind of... I'll tell you what kind of Bible and what kind of God we have. One that does not hide anything from you and I. If we're going to write a Bible, we're going to write a system of truth, we're going to write something that's going to tell a story about this Jesus that's going to come to this earth and children are going to run up to him in a peace and loving way and yet say in the Old Testament, the precursor to the gospel, to say the man after God's own heart just killed every man and woman in his villages. 
First, let me explain this. This is what we call the history of the Bible. This is the history section. We do not derive theology from this. This is where people got it wrong. When they said, oh yeah, well slavery is allowed because of it's mentioned. In, no. This is what they call the history of the Bible. And as a matter of fact, this is what they call a character study or a character contrast. Meaning this. This is describing David to the T exactly who he was. And so you're probably sitting there thinking, I have never annihilated every man and woman in a village. I've never done that. What would you possibly think that I could be compared to David? But I would say this. Have you ever been bold and brash about knowing the Lord is my salvation? The Bible's as real as anything. Heaven is real. And then what happens? You go home at night and you know you've done this. In the isolation of the room, in the isolation and recesses of your heart, you have looked to God and you said, are you real or not? Can this thing be real? That battle that you have is not something the Bible hides. If the Bible's going to take one of the pillars of our faith and battle with it, guess what? You and I need to be in a church where we can be honest about it. Remember, there's no sin in doubt. There is no sin in that at all. There may be sin in not acknowledging doubt, in covering it up. I've always said this my whole ministry career. Doubting leads to questions. Questions lead to answers. Answers lead to confidence. And the only way you're going to get the confidence in the Lord is to ask the questions. It's okay to walk into Scripture and say, there's no way with a mind, a brain that I have, that I can believe this in particular. And you know what you need to do? Very clearly, and I'll give you the best advice I can give you. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to move in, in every way, and give you clarity and give you peace. Because if you think you can study the scripture the way you could a science book or a textbook, you'll never make it. If you think, well, I've got to believe this, but you need to walk in and understand the Holy Spirit needs to move in you to guide you, to give you a peace and understanding. That's going to show up in just a little bit. But so think about this. You and I are no different than David in the fact that we're bold in our words we're brash in our theology, but man, we are scared to death when we start thinking in our own heart and thinking to ourselves. And so David does this. He takes all the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, the garments, and why does he kill every man and woman? Well, we're about to find out. Verse 10. Um, and when Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, Against the Negab of Judah, against the Negab of Je, the Jehermelites, I can't say that, or against the Negab of the Kenites. And David would read, leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking lest they should tell about us and say, so David had just done this. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. Now stop right here. Can you go back one more verse? Did you catch that? The Negab of Judah, the Negab of and the Negab of the Kenites. That was not the three groups he attacked, was it? These three groups lived in Israel. So he goes back and he gives to Achish all these animals. He gives these animals and he says, Where'd you get these things? Oh, I went into Israel. And so meanwhile, Achish is thinking, Whoa, killing your own people. Man, you're wicked. You're terrible. 
You're kind of my kind of soldier. You know, he's like, this is what I want. And my, he says, I'm going to make you my bodyguard. He goes on to make he and his 600 men his bodyguard. Meanwhile, David has been cleaning house and killing all the Philistine allied villages and the enemies of Israel. So, David is actually still standing up for Israel. But it's about to get... I don't want to guess they get shady, but it's a, something interesting is about to happen, and we'll never know what the outcome would have been because of something that happens. Verse um, 12. Achish trusted David, thinking he's made himself an utter stench to his people in Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. By the way, if you ever wonder how sometimes Middle Eastern cultures don't respect, like, necessarily our style of we come in and we give, like, law and order. Like, you know, in Afghanistan, we tried to settle, like, you know, this is what we want to do. We even sent over United States postal workers to give them a grid on how to do P.O. boxes and stuff. Well, it went flat. Nothing happened. I mean, just, it was a disaster. The mindset of the Afghani people has always been warlords and always been oppression. And they only recognize an oppressing warlord. They, they, they admire strength, even though they disagree with it. It's, it's just a different system. We think totally different than they do. This is no case. This no no uncertain case. This Philistine looks at him and goes, this guy's so hated by his own people, calls him a stench to Israel, he's my kind of guy. This is the attraction. The Philistines are incredibly warlike people. These are the ones that, man, they've been waiting to pounce on Israel, and sure enough, chapter 29, it's going to come. What are you going to do? I mean, if you're David, what are you going to do? You're 600 men. You're about to be mustered into an army of tens of thousands of Philistines to go what? Attack your own people. Chapter 29, verse 1. And now the Philistines gathered all their forces at Aphek. And the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by, by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish. Keep in mind, stop here. He's serving as the bodyguard. You're talking tens of thousands of warriors. Here comes Achish on his chariot and all that, however he's been transported. And in the back, the very rear, David and 600 men. Okay, let's just say you're a Philistine commander. You're about to go into Israel. And in back of your king are 600 Israelites who are killing machines. Have you raised a red flag yet? Is there anything in you thinking, what are we about to do? We're going to go in and right behind our king are 600 Jews, well armed. Oh no, they're going to strike us down. This whole thing's a ruse. And so verse 3, the commanders of the Philistines said... What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who's been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, and I find no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back. Then he may return to the place from which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us in the battle, lest the battle he become an adversary to us. Watch how watch what they say. These guys are smart. For how is he going to reconcile himself to the Lord? How is he going to make himself up to his Lord? Would it not be for the heads of all of our men here? 
Is this not David who they used to sing to one another in the dances? David is struck down as thousands and tens of thousands. This was, remember, if you had a top 40 hit, this was it. Saul has struck down a thousand, ten thousand. That By now, it's an oldie. We're talking 10 years old. This, if you remember, early on, this song permeated Jewish culture and, it mentioned in Scripture, it permeated Philistine culture. The Philistines heard this thing. Even though it was against one of their own, this was a song that the women started singing. The women were like, oh, yeah, this guy. And so, you know, the men were like, well, you know, it's a warrior, so we'll say. So this song is now ingrained. And they're saying, King, there's no way you're going to, tr- we can trust 600 well-armed men under that guy in the middle of a battle. He's going to turn against us. There's, there's no way we can trust him. Verse 6. Then Achish called David. And he said to him, <clears throat> as the Lord lives. Oh, by the way, stop right here. Achish is not a believer. It's something awkward whenever you talk to someone who's not spiritual and they start speaking in spiritual, spiritual terms. It's really an awkward moment. Nothing ever makes sense. It's kind of like, oh, this is weird. You know, you don't, I mean, you just kind of sit there and smile and they, they're trying. This, this is, a, this is a, a bloodthirsty warlord who starts talking. Look, look how he's talking. As the Lord lives, you've been honest. And to me, it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you. From the day of your coming into this day, nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peacefully, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. Now, David is about to kick in a response, and David is about to fight back. David is, I mean, fight back with words. If you're wondering, like I'm wondering, keep wondering. We don't know what David's plans were. We don't know. If you want my assumption, I would say this. David is not going to turn against his people. David is begging to stay in the ranks of this army. And I'm just giving you my opinion for what it's worth. I truly do believe David would have done exactly what those Philistines said he was going to do. I think he would have, they would have gone in and caused absolute havoc. They would have taken out the king. They would have gone into the ranks and they would have fought. But, verse, um, verse 7, it, we, we, we see David is about to have a response in verse 8. And David said to Achish, what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of the Lord my king? Did you catch that? He just called a Philistine king my lord and my king. I don't think David has fallen so far. I think he's fallen, but I don't th- I think now this is desperation. He has a strategy, he wants to carry it out. I will say this. David is in exile. This is important for us to grasp. David is in turmoil. David does not write one psalm in the 16 months he is here. Not one. You know the man is broken. The man is completely resting on his own, on his own talent, on his own skills. Um, verse nine. And Achish answered David. Here he comes. There's more spiritual chatter coming up. He said, "I know you're as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. <laughs> Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said he shall not go up with us in battle." Now. Is, is this ironic 
these people would say, you're not welcome. You're not to be a part of this. This is one of those ironies where you look at and think, how could you be thinking, wait a minute. Wait a minute, you've had the greatest warrior that that this area has ever seen. And you're really going to say, no, you, you don't belong here. This kind of scourge just doesn't happen to us now in the world. It happens to us in churches if we're not careful. Here's what happens. You see, what happened is you leave here and you go into the world and you have somebody who has no moral backbone telling you that you're a fake and a fraud when it comes to spiritual things. Oh yeah, you're religious. I know what you're about. You're about shoving legalism down our throats. I know what you're about. And you're rejected by people that haven't even earned the right to reject you. Some of you work for people that are hard to work with. Some of you go to jobs where you're fully not appreciated and you're mocked really for what you do, your performance, you're just looked at and said, no, you're just not, you're not accomplishing what you should accomplish. You're rejected. And you think, well, we should expect that. But what people don't expect is when somebody walks into a church and sometimes, I'm not saying it happens here, but it happens all over the place. And we should be susceptible as anybody and aware of that. That somebody walks in and goes, Man, can you believe he's here at church? You know that guy's done? Do you know what this person's done? This person has the nerve to go to a, Bible, uh, a couple's Bible study when their marriage is, in, is, is wrecked? Do you know what? If, if you ever want to see my... If you ever want to see my backbone exposed, say something ill of another person in this flock. I'll assume... You meant well for prayer. And then the second thing is going to be, we're going to meet with that person right away. Because we don't want to be like that. We're not going to be that church that, oh, so-and-so, you know, have you heard about? No. No, thank you very much. This body of Christ isn't for you. And if you see that little, I know it kind of got an Easter Bunny personality of happiness and all that stuff, but you want to see something come out in me, attack somebody in this flock. I don't care if you're in a flock or you're out of flock. You, you come in, and in this particular case, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, man, Philistines. Part of me is wanting to defend David. Who are these guys to step in and say, you have no right to be in our army? Part of the flesh is me thinking, man, David, take a stand for yourself. You got this. But the reality is, God is the one who moved in the hearts of the Philistines to do that. Remember, there's always a hero in every chapter of the Bible. And if you're not careful, you'll make the hero David. The hero here is the Holy Spirit. And that is the greatest comfort you and I have. This is not about how can a man after God's own heart who kills all these people be loved on by God and be forgiven by God. No, it's the fact that God can rescue a guy like David just like he can rescue you and me. Somebody once said to me, they said, you know, well, they didn't say it to me. I said it to somebody and I heard it and I thought it was pretty cool. They said, how can you allow, as a church, how can we, the church, allow thousands and thousands of people to, of starvation in some African country? I'm like, well, that's a good question. They got us, right? I mean, you know what they're going to say? And you know what the person said? I don't know how I can let one person starve to death. I don't know. And if I could stop it, I would. It's like, in this particular case, David is so 
interwoven. Why, my, what a wicked web we weave when we first attempt to deceive. He has deceived his way to the place of saying, I, I think now I'm supposed to go out and battle the Philistines of my own land. But God moves in and he does something. I was a kid, eight years, I was like seven or eight years old. My, my parents were teachers and very frugal. And we were building a, a wood deck in the backyard. You know, and so they're building this wood deck and Robin's Lumber comes and they drop off this, uh, um, they drop, uh, are we okay? Is, is that okay? Let me, let me just see. You want to kill my microphone, please? Tyler, go ahead and put that up. And so our medical team's there, so we're going to help him out. Lord, um, Lord, we just ask you right now to just um, give a sense of strength to our brother. May Lord help him. Um, his father, just to get, get a sense of, uh, of awareness. God, for the blood pressure, Ed, just to bother to return to normal. Pulse rate to come back in a great, um, strong way. Lord, um, give peace to Mona right now. Give direction for those who know what to do. Let's keep praying, if you would, please. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Give you a little backstory. Ed's been having some just blood pressure and sugar problems in that. So I know, um, thank God we have the medical team that we do that just knows how to move on these things right away. So thank you. Yeah, I mean, right. It was, uh, it was incredible. Last, uh, last time something happened, family said, we cannot thank you enough for just the professionalism and we they train for this kind of moment so I'm sure he's going to be good I know Ed he's a, he's a fighter so anyway um, I uh, where was I where was I where was I the deck thank you seems like nothing now but it was something to me at an eight year old I'm eight years old my uh, my dad got a delivery of wood for this deck and they unloaded it LLT or Robin's Lumber, whatever they come out there, he started unloading it. And my dad goes to my mom and he says, uh, hey, um, do you want to go ahead and write the check? It was like, I forgot, $800 or something like that. And he said, um, uh, I don't have the money. You have the $800. He's, and my, and my dad's, I don't have the $800. And meanwhile, this guy that looked like, you know, he's part of the Godfather cast <laughs> is unloading this stuff. And they're like, you know, what are we going to do? And I, my mom immediately goes in the house, and I'm think, she goes upstairs, and I'm thinking she's got a secret drawer or whatever. You know, <laughs> I go in, and she is as a sight I've all seen growing up my whole life on her knees praying, the sweetest of prayer. Just, just you know, I mean, talking with a sweet sense of desperation but confidence. Lord, please, would you help us? And I'm watching. Well, I start reacting the way my dad's reacting. Which is panic. 
my dad is just pacing back and forth when all of a sudden, look folks, hand on the Bible. <laughs> the neighbor comes over and walks over to my dad and is looking at this wood-paneled 1974 whatever, I don't know, station wagon. It's been sitting for two years, tire rot, everything. He says, Jerry, you going to sell that car or not? And my dad's like, as a matter of fact, I would sell the car. And he said, how about 800 bucks? I mean, it was like, I'm telling you, to the dollar. This happened. They're still unloading. You know, they didn't have forklifts on trucks back then. They were doing it the slow way. And they, and they right there... My dad writes a check, off a check that a guy wrote right there. And I saw, and my mom, just I'm watching her praising the Lord. You'd think at eight years old, I would have gotten so saved at that moment. Like, this is it. (laughs) But no, you know what happens? I grew up and I got adulterized. And what happened? I started talking to my own heart the way David did. Started getting, that can't be real. That can't be for certain. And so... What happens is God moves in the hearts of people like my neighbor, the way he moved in the Philistines. And that's the beauty of the power of the Holy Spirit, that he still moves in your life. When you don't know what to do, God moves. Let me finish it up here. Verse 10. He says to uh, David, he says, Now then, Rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you. Start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Now, I have something in my mind that I look at in this and I I can't wait to tie it in the Lord's table. Gentlemen, if you would, if you'd go ahead and, and pass those elements out. I'm going to wait and tell you once we get all the elements in our hands, but here's my instructions to you on the Lord's table. Okay, here we are. We take this every six weeks, and I'm so happy it just kind of landed on today. Here it is. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this table's for you, first and foremost. Doesn't matter what denomination, doesn't matter what church. You are in the church of Jesus. That You're the church of, of um, you're the Christian church, of uh, brothers and sisters. We take this together. Now, you may have something that you're conflicted with in your own life and you're saying spiritually, man, I just don't feel clean. If there's, if there's something in your life you wish to pass the tray, you can. But this is also a time of not condemnation, of reflection. Let's say there's something in you that you need to address. You're saying, you know what, Lord? I need to address this. I need to work on this. I need, this is something I'm going to commit to, then take the Lord's Supper and commit to, maybe it's a broken relationship with a friend, maybe it's a, it, it's, a, it's a place of darkness and sin that you've just been working on in your life. So for whatever that is, I'm going to let you guys as wait, take both elements and just, I mean, but hold them, take them, but don't take them, you know what I mean, and just kind of hold them in your hands and we'll talk about them in just a second, okay? So go ahead and keep, um, keep uh, we'll just go ahead and pray as we pass this around in your own quiet hearts, okay?
because the last ones are taking um, elements from the trays. I got a thumbs up from the back, so that he's Ed's doing good. And the last time he did this, I went to the hospital. By the way, I got to the hospital and said, "There's no guy here named Ed Pappy." And I called, and he was at Cheddar's eating. So he's, Ed can recover pretty quickly. Um, thank you, Jeff. we look at this cup, we'll just cracker. I'm going to give you an instruction here. You ready for this? We have taken the Lord's table and the Lord's supper many times. Most of you as Christians, a long time have taken it for a long time. And you're encouraged to take it with your brothers and sisters in here, take it with your brothers and sisters all over the world. We share in that. But today I'm going to have you do something a little different. Today, I'm going to ask you to take it for you. So the Lord, when he gave his instructions at the Last Supper, said this. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. He said, I want you to do this and take this cup in memory of me. Now, what's interesting is he did not need to be remembered like that. He's not asking you to take it as a memorial to him. He's not asking you to take it as, oh, this is what I'll remember. No, he, he says it for a very important reason. And here it is. The bread represents a broken body. It was crushed for you and I. The blood was representing the fact that your blood was spilt into a cup and he was the one put into the cup. And all we have to do is drink of the cup. But it was done to remember me. Now here it is. Are you overwhelmed? I'm going to ask you a few questions. I'm not trying to narrow you down anything, but for some of you, are you overwhelmed with heavy decisions, with debt? Are some of you overwhelmed with emotions? Are some of you so overwhelmed you've forgotten that God can still rescue you? Are you besieged with thoughts? Do you have thoughts about your life, about your own sin? About can God be that good to save you? Can God be that good to really forgive you? Are you besieged with those thoughts? If you are, the Lord gave you this cup for an important reason. That you can remember He is there. That you can remember that you can't fix it, but He can. When David tried to plan his way out of the Philistine land, David changed the heart of the Philistine people. And so for whatever you're going through, this time, today, take this cup and say, Lord, I'm remembering that you are here for me. Would you do that now? Thank you. That moments where we don't know where to turn and what to say, what to do. Lord, we remember that you're there. 
Lord, thank you for the rescuer that you are in our life. Thank you, Father, when we don't know exactly how to see our way out of something, Lord, you are there. Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving us that reminder. Thank you, Father, for the fact that we can take the Lord's table and Lord's Supper corporately, but, Lord, sometimes it's good just to look inwardly and acknowledge our own life and acknowledge our total need for you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, um, if you would, stand together. Um, We have an invitation here that exists in this way. That if a friend brought you and you have a question for that friend and you have a question about what it means to be saved or baptized or join a church or whatever, that friend who brought you is the greatest minister you could probably know. If that person wants to introduce you to one of us, we're here for you. And we're here for you for sure. We're going to sing one more song. And I'm going to check out in the lobby. They let me know if if the ambulance is still out there. With your permission, we'll just exit this way. So we'll exit to that door. So I'll check that out for sure. Because if you see that door closed, we'll just keep it closed if you do that. Let's worship together. And thank you. And God bless you.